Well, amen. I don't know if you're uh, <clears throat> like me, but uh, I just about had a spell worshiping the Lord and listening to the truth of that wonderful song. <clears throat> if you've got your Bible this morning, I invite you to take it and turn with me to the third chapter of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3. Y'all got to give me a second. I got to get a tissue. <clears throat> well, aren't you grateful that the Lord is your rock and your redeemer? And... Uh, Man, may we make that our prayer in this time. Lord, be glorified in all of our days. No matter the circumstances of life around us, be glorified. Be glorified. I can't tell you how much I miss uh, seeing your faces, worshiping God corporately with you. I miss it with all of my heart. Um. I'm fatigued <clears throat> preaching to a camera. Someone asked me the other day, what's the hardest thing about preaching to a camera? And I said, it's it. that's easy. That's an easy question to answer. It's preaching to a camera. <laughs> I would so much rather see your faces and uh, hear your voices as we sing together, as we pray together. But can you imagine, folks, how sweet it's going to be when the Lord brings us all through this time as he's done a purifying work in our hearts and lives, in our church. And my prayer is that God does bring about a great revival. And I long to see people being saved and baptized, church being mobilized for mission like never before. And uh, I'm trusting that that's what God is doing uh, in this time. You know, one of the most influential Christian men who ever lived was John Wesley. Uh, Wesley was born in 1703. Uh, he was converted to faith in Jesus Christ in 1738. He was on his deathbed in 1791. And while he was there on his deathbed, he was reflecting back on his life and uh, family and loved ones, um, came together to be with Wesley in the final hours of his life. Wesley had traveled more than 250,000 miles on horseback in his ministry. Uh, he had preached more than 40,000 sermons in his ministry. And there he was on his deathbed. His family had gathered around him. They began singing a hymn, and the title of the hymn is, I'll Praise My Maker While I Have Breath. And the hymn sort of says something along these lines. I'll praise my maker while I've breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My days of praise shall ne'er be past while life and thought and being last or immortality endures. Why should I make a man my trust? Princes must die and turn to dust. Vain is the help of flesh and blood. Their breath departs, their pomp and power, and thoughts all vanish in an hour. Nor can they make their promise good. 
But how happy they whose hopes rely on Israel's God who made the sky and earth and seas with all their train. His truth forever stands secure. He saves the oppressed. He feeds the poor. And none shall find his promise vain. Despite these being the final moments of his life, those who were gathered around Wesley's bedside realized just how much he had learned the lesson of praising God in every circumstance of life. The last words that John Wesley spoke were these. He said, best of all, God is with us. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. No matter the season of life that you're in, no matter the circumstances of your life, have you learned to praise God anyway? Or do your circumstances have to be just a certain way in order for you to really worship God? The prophet Habakkuk, here in Habakkuk chapter 3, he's going to show us how we can worship God regardless of uncomfortable circumstances. So I hope you've got your Bible open there to Habakkuk chapter 3. And uh, this morning, I want to preach one final message from this minor prophet found in the Old Testament. I've already showed you how Habakkuk's generation had drifted away from God. Uh, the southern kingdom of Judah had given itself over to the worship of idols. Uh, the law of God was being ignored. Sin was rampant in the lives of God's people. And barring a move of God, the nation was headed for disaster. And so Habakkuk was troubled by all that he saw happening in his world. And he asks questions about what he perceives as God's inactivity. Why was God taking his time? Uh, why hadn't God moved in reviving power? How long would it be before God did something? And the answer comes to the prophet there in chapter 1, as the Lord tells Habakkuk that he was working, but he would raise up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians who would come and uh, carry his people away into captivity. And those Babylonians would be an instrument of judgment that God would use against his own people. And so this provoked more questions and concerns in Habakkuk's heart. How could God use a pagan nation to punish his own people? Habakkuk had a hard time understanding the purposes of God behind it all. So really here in the book of Habakkuk in chapter 1, Habakkuk's faith is being tested He's asking his questions. In chapter 2, faith is being taught. And uh, verse 4 is sort of the key verse in the entire book of Habakkuk uh, where God says the righteous will live by his faith. The pride of man is puffed up, but the righteous one lives by his faith. And so faith is being taught to the prophet in chapter 2. Well, in this third chapter, we have a picture of faith that's triumphant. After Habakkuk has gotten a word from God, after he's caught a glimpse of God's sovereign purposes and has come to trust God and place all of his faith and confidence in God, no matter his circumstances, Habakkuk's faith then becomes triumphant, the kind of faith that transcends the circumstances of life and looks to God with confident hope. 
Now, we began looking at this third chapter last week, and I showed you that all of Habakkuk chapter 3 is really a prayer that the prophet prays. And all told, there are more than 650 prayers that we find throughout the Bible. And yet the prayer of Habakkuk, here in Habakkuk chapter 3, is one of the greatest that we find. And the language of Habakkuk 3 is very similar to the Psalms. And so the prophet makes his requests known to God uh, here in the first couple of verses. And then for most of the chapter, he remembers how God has proven himself faithful time and time again all throughout Israel's past. And then the prophet is going to end the book by rejoicing in the God of his salvation. And so I've outlined the third chapter of Habakkuk really under three headings. Uh, The first heading is responding to God's word. And the second heading is reflecting on God's work. And the final heading is rejoicing in God's will. So I want you to notice with me the first heading, and I really spent sufficient time on this last week. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time this morning here, but responding to God's word is the first thing that we see here in the first couple of verses. Uh, Look at what the Bible says beginning in verse number one. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So, really, the prophet is responding to the truth that has just been revealed to him back up in the second chapter. And we've considered his attitude as he begins his prayer here. Uh, He's humble. Uh, The tone of Habakkuk is much different than it was in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Habakkuk is asking questions. In chapter 1, Habakkuk has his eyes on his circumstances. But here in chapter 3, he's not so much asking questions as he is uh, uh, trusting God and believing God's promises. As far as his outward circumstances, nothing had really changed. And up until this point in chapter 3, Habakkuk had been looking around at all that was happening in the world. Uh, He had his eyes on himself, his own issues. God had been blurred in the background. But now things are reversed. God is foremost in his heart. Everything else has taken a back seat. And so he's in a position of humble trust. That's his attitude. And then, as far as his approach is concerned, uh, notice how he approaches God. He begins saying, Lord, I've heard this report of you, and your work do I fear. He's simply saying, I have come to discover some things and learn some things about you from your word, and now I submit my life to you in worship. He's saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And really, that's the only way to approach God as a believer. It's the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Prayer is not so much about me getting my will done in heaven as much as it is about the will of God being accomplished here on earth. And then the appeal that Habakkuk makes in verse number two, listen to what he simply asks God for. He says, in the midst of the years, revive it. I've seen your work, 
I've watched you work in the past, but in the midst of the years, in the midst of the circumstances of life, God, would you revive your work? Would you do a great work in our hearts and in our lives? In the midst of the years, make it known, and in wrath, remember mercy. And so he's not asking God to spare Judah from the Chaldeans. Habakkuk is not asking God for an easy road or a bed of comfort or personal escape. Instead, he's simply asking God uh, to use all that was about to happen for his glory and to use it to bring about a revival of his work among his people. Now, let me ask you this question. Can you pray that way as a believer? Because listen, that's what faith really is. Faith is coming to God on his terms in obedience and submission to his word with concern for his agenda above everything else in life. And that's what Habakkuk is doing here in chapter three. So he's responding to God's word. That's the first thing that we see in this chapter. Now there's a second thing that I wanna draw your attention to and it's simply this. Notice how Habakkuk begins to reflect on God's work. We see him reflecting upon the work of God. He's going to go all the way back through Israel's history. And really in just a succinct way, in a poetic way, he's going to praise God for all of his work, how he had shown himself strong on behalf of his people. Notice what he says there in verse number three. He says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. Now that word Selah there, uh, it's, it's a, a word we, we use or we find constantly in the Psalms. It means pause and think about what I just said. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, God's splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. The eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. Now listen to this, verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people. Time and time and time again. God, you broke into history you worked your awesome wonders and you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. 
and you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. So Habakkuk is just simply going back through Israel's history and he's reflecting upon the works of God. He's faced with the fear of an invading nation. The prophet now reminds himself of what he knows about God, what God has done in the past. The powerful activity of God on behalf of his people in past history. You say, well, why is this so important that he does this? Well, because remembering who the Lord is and what the Lord has done, this is going to restore Habakkuk's joy. It's going to bring him confidence over fear of the future. And folks, let me tell you, that's why knowledge of God in his word is so very important in your life as a believer. There are some situations in life in which knowledge alone will help see you through. You can't rely upon your emotion because your emotion may be all over the place. You can't rely upon your reason because some things are just beyond human reason. You don't understand it. You can't even begin to understand what happens the way that it does. Some things can only, listen, you need the knowledge of God to help you through the difficult seasons of life. Knowing who God is, knowing the truth about his character, knowing what he has said in his word. Daniel 11.32 says that the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. No matter the circumstances of life, the people who know their God, who have faith and confidence in their God, as a result of such knowledge, they have confidence for the difficult seasons of life. And so, beginning in verse 3, going all the way through verse 15, Habakkuk describes what he knows about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's reminding himself of what God has done. He's focusing his mind on the facts of redemptive history. And he praises God for what is past. And that, in turn, is going to free him up to trust God for what is yet to come. And he recalls the faithfulness of God that's seen in at least three different ways. He praises God for the splendor of his person in verses 3, 4, and 5. Uh, there in verse 3, Habakkuk goes back into redemptive history and he really reflects upon the way that God revealed himself to his people there at Mount Sinai. Moses caught an awesome glimpse of God's glory there. And so the prophet Habakkuk retraces Israel's steps from Mount Sinai all through the wilderness into the promised land and how God gave them victory over all of their enemies. And then he praises God really for the scope or the breadth of God's power in verses 6 through 9. He says in verse 6 that God stood and measured the earth. And, and really that's a symbolic way of just simply saying that the earth is in God's possession. There's not a single thing that happens in life that God is not aware of or in control of. That's why Jesus uh, in the Sermon on the Mount said that we really shouldn't live our lives with worry and anxiety. And if God takes care of the flowers of the field, and if God takes care of the birds of the air, and he knows their number, will he not take care of his own? That's what Jesus said. So Habakkuk says that the Lord stood and measures the earth. To measure something is an indication that it's yours and you can do with it whatever you please. 
It's a symbolic way of saying that God holds the nations accountable. So he's praising God for the breadth of God's power. And then verses 10 through 15, he's praising God for the salvation of God's people. And he uses poetic language to describe Israel's march through the wilderness as they follow God all the way to the promised land and lay claim to their inheritance. God split the Red Sea to lead his people out of Egypt. And then God splits the Jordan River to lead his people into Canaan. The chariots of Pharaoh were all destroyed, but God's chariot was the chariot of salvation. That's what Habakkuk says there in verse number eight. The idea is that God had fought the battles that were necessary and had therefore secured the salvation of his own. Israel did nothing to save themselves. It was all God working on their behalf who brought about their salvation. Same thing's true in my life and your life as believers in Jesus Christ. You can't give yourself a pat on the back for your salvation. The only one who can get the glory for your salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ, who with outstretched arms on a cross accomplished my salvation, your salvation. So in the midst of crisis, Habakkuk is reflecting on the work of God in history as God acted on his people's behalf. And this reminds me that that biblical faith, biblical faith is not just a set of hypotheticals. It's not just uh, a bunch of untested ideas. No, biblical Christianity, folks, is rooted in history. Christianity is a historical faith rooted in the facts. God, who has broken into time and space to achieve the salvation of those who trust in his son. And it's this kind of understanding that we need when times get tough because it's what gives us strength. It's faith in the revealed word of God. Uh, In something I was reading this week, I happened to come across the testimony of a fellow by the name of Joseph Tan, who was a Romanian pastor who eventually became the head of the Romanian Missionary Society here in the United States. But Joseph Tan became a Christian in Romania during the dark days of Soviet communism. And during his college years, uh, he really matured in his faith despite the attempts of others who tried to indoctrinate him with the Marxist worldview. Well, sensing a call to the pastorate, Joseph Tun then enrolled in seminary. Well, one day there was a friend who gave him a book by a liberal theologian who attacked the doctrine of substitutionary atonement and made this claim that it was all just a bunch of metaphor. Uh, The events of Calvary didn't literally happen the way that they did. It was all just metaphoric. So this really bothered Joseph Tun, and he went to his professor there at the seminary who said, well, the man who wrote this is a great theologian, and if he says something is so, then it must be so. At that moment, uh, Tun would um, think to himself, basically he would even write this in a book that he wrote. He said, at that moment, I saw my faith like scaffolding beginning to collapse. Everything in me was demolished. I went to my room and said, it's risky to preach the gospel here. I was ready to risk my life for the truth, but for metaphors, I would risk nothing. Now listen, metaphors and myths won't do anything 
for a man who finds himself between a rock and hard place in life. But folks, listen, Habakkuk, he's not going back through redemptive history and uh, understanding that it was all just a bunch of metaphor and myth that didn't literally happen. No, he's worshiping God because he knows this has happened. This is the truth of God. God has acted in real time. God literally split the Red Sea. God literally sustained his people in their wilderness journeys. God literally brought them into the promised land. God literally gave them the land by giving them the victory over their enemies. There are a lot of people who have lip service. They want to believe the God of the Bible, but they don't want to believe the Bible that God inspired. Habakkuk is a Bible believer, and because he's a Bible believer, this gives him faith in the midst of such difficulty in life. And aren't you grateful for the truth of God's word, the solid bedrock of faith that you can stake your life upon? So Habakkuk reminds himself of what God has done. He reflects upon what God has done in history by way of his work. Now I want you to notice a third thing from this this chapter, and it's simply this. At the end of the chapter, we find Habakkuk rejoicing in God's will. He's responded to God's word. He's reflected back on God's work in redemptive history, and now he's going to rejoice in God's will. Look at what he says there, beginning in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. And yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. In other words, he's just simply saying, all that God has revealed uh, that's going to be involved with this Babylonian invasion, he says, it scares me to death. Uh, I'm full of fear when I think about what could happen. But he's not going to live there. He's not going to allow the fear of what might happen rob him of joy in the present. And look at what he goes on to say in verse 17. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then the book is addressed to the choir master upon stringed instruments. So really what you find here at the close of Habakkuk chapter 3 is one of the greatest confessions of faith anywhere in the word of God. Habakkuk has been faced with this uncomfortable truth that his nation will soon be invaded by the wicked Babylonians. The will of God involved pain for his people. Habakkuk is about to lose everything that he held near and dear. His home would be under attack. His land would be under attack. His livelihood would be lost. And in verse 16, he says that he trembles, but he also trusts. And so notice the situation from which he rejoices. He says, even though the fig tree may not blossom, 
Uh, Even though there's no fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fails and yields no food. Even though the flock be cut off from the fold and there are no herds in the stalls. Basically, it's his way of saying, even though the economy around me is collapsing, even though I'm losing my livelihood, even though my paycheck has run out, even though the weatherman has said there's rain in the forecast, he says, I'm going to rejoice anyhow because my circumstances have never been the basis of my confidence. My circumstances have never been the basis of my joy. My joy doesn't come from my circumstances. My joy comes from the God in whom I trust and in whom I believe. And so when you understand who God is and what he's done in history, what he's done for you in Jesus Christ, then you're free to rejoice no matter what you may be up against in life. And that's what the prophet does here. That doesn't mean he's not afraid doesn't mean that he experiences the range of emotions. He's pretty clear in verse 16 as far as his feelings are concerned. The Chaldeans were on the move. Judah was in their sights. But but Habakkuk says, I know that God is in control. I know that he has a plan in mind, and yet I'm scared. It shook him to the core to think of what might be just over the horizon. But you see, the difference in his life is this. He's not going to let what he feels dictate what he believes. I'm not going to let my feelings dictate my faith. Uh, My faith is not subservient to my feelings. My feelings are subservient to my faith. That's what he's saying here. I like how Warren Wiersbe expresses it. He said if Habakkuk had depended upon his feelings, he would never have made this great confession of faith. If he looked ahead, he saw a nation headed for destruction, and it scared him. When he looked within, he saw himself shaking with fear. When he looked around, he saw everything in the economy about to fall apart. But when he looked up, when he looked up by faith, he saw God, and all of his fears vanished. My friend, you may have the worst circumstances possible. Emotionally right now, you may be a basket case, but let me tell you something, that does not affect your relationship with God in the least little bit. I can feel totally overwhelmed by my circumstances at various times in my life, but as someone who has faith in Jesus Christ, I can rejoice in the fact that my life is secure because Christ is my life and he is my hope. My circumstances on the outside can't touch my relationship to God on the inside. And that's why you should never confuse your standing with your state. There's a difference in your standing versus your state. You see, your state may be in a state of flux. Things may be changing around you. But as someone who has faith in Jesus Christ, your standing is secure. I don't know if this is the best illustration or not, but it's what popped into my head just now. Uh, If you were to go on a road trip, you'd be in a lot of different states, but that wouldn't affect your standing as a citizen of the United States of America, 
whether you're in the state of North Carolina, whether you're in the state of South Carolina, whether you're in the state of Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, so on and so forth, you're still a citizen of the United States of America and you're still in the sovereign territory of the United States of America. Listen, I'm about to have a shouting fit. No matter what state I'm in emotionally in life, no matter what state I'm in physically in life, no matter what state I'm in financially in life, my standing never changes. I am secure in Jesus Christ. And my faith is secure not so much because I'm holding on to God, but because he's the one who's holding on to me. And that's what Habakkuk recognizes here as he closes out this third chapter. And that's why he can rejoice. Even though the way was about to get bumpy as far as his state was concerned, he knew that his standing was secure. So the situation from which he rejoices, the source in whom he rejoices, he says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. God is the source of all of his joy, not his circumstances, but God himself. He says in verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And much like the psalmist before him, Habakkuk could say, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The world around him would soon fall apart, but Habakkuk could rejoice in the Lord. And you know, the Apostle Paul says something along those same lines in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, the Christian life, it's not about you mustering up courage. It doesn't mean that we have to psych ourselves up and refuse to take an honest look at the difficulty in front of us. The arm of flesh will fail us every time, but the Bible says it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. It's his joy that's being supernaturally produced in you because the life of God is within you as a believer. It's Christ in me producing his joy in me no matter my circumstances outwardly. And then the salvation for which Habakkuk rejoices. He says, I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread upon my high places. That's an interesting illustration that he uses there. What does he mean when he says that the Lord makes his feet like a deer's? You know, we've got a bunch of deer that live in the woods around our house. And most mornings I can watch several of those deer there in our backyard, maybe eating clover or whatever, just before sunrise. Sometimes there's five or six of them. I've watched those deer at, at, at various times jump the fence in our backyard like it wasn't nothing. Now you're talking about a pretty tall chain link fence, but I've seen those deer clear that fence like that fence wasn't even there. Deer are swift. Deer are nimble on their feet. So really this is a picture of liberation that, that Habakkuk is using. David uses the same word picture in Psalm 18. Uh, the context of that psalm, David had been pursued by Saul. 
He had been uh, oppressed by enemies on all sides. But he says in Psalm 18, 32, it's God who arms me with strength. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. You ever feel like you're weighed down in life by just the pressure of your circumstances? I mean, just the weight of just the pressure of life, family life, marriage life. What's going on at work? What's going on uh, in the lives of your friends? What's going on in in our, our country? And sometimes it can be hard to put one foot in front of the other. Your steps get heavy. Habakkuk was there in chapter one. He felt like his world was spinning out of control. But when he took his eyes off of the stuff that was happening around him and instead put it on the one who reigns supremely, it put a spring in his step. Outwardly, things remained the same, but inwardly, inwardly, he could rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Listen to this quote by G. Campbell Morgan, great, great preacher of the past. He said, our joy is in proportion to our trust, and our trust is in proportion to our knowledge of God. Your joy in life as a believer is in proportion to your trust, the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. But that trust is in proportion to the knowledge that you have of God. Do you know God in a personal, intimate way? I'm talking about a deep and abiding knowledge of God. You see, the thing is, only those that know God are those who are saved. If you're, if you're not saved this morning, the first step for you is repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is to be someone who is in possession of the life of God inwardly. It's a life of exchange. The one who had no sin became sin for us on the cross so that we might become his righteousness so that we might possess his righteousness, his life, and his joy. Let me just invite you right there where you are to bow with me. If you have never been saved, I want to encourage you to look away from the circumstances of life and in faith look to the Lord Jesus Christ who bled and died on a cross for your salvation. Repent of your sin. That means turn away from your sin and in faith believe that Christ died for you and that he rose again from the dead in power. And perhaps you could pray something along these lines. Lord Jesus, I confess my sin this morning. I acknowledge my need for you and I repent. I believe that Christ died for me on the cross, that God raised him from the dead And I confess my faith in him. He's Lord, master over life. So Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you and I praise you for the truth of Habakkuk chapter three, that we can rejoice no matter the circumstances of life, no matter what's going on around us. You've been faithful in the past, God, that gives us confidence for the future and it gives us strength in the present. So Lord, may you move in our hearts and lives. 
May those who have decisions to make today, whatever they may be, Lord, may you reveal that to them. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.